Welcome to the QAV Investing Podcast. This is episode 633. My name's Cameron Riley. If you're new to the show, welcome. This is a little podcast I do with my mate, Tony Kynaston, who's a very successful value investor. He's been doing it for 30 years, and he has a methodology he's developed called Quality at Value, QAV, which is where we invest in shares in good quality companies, companies that have got a good track record of producing a lot of cash, but we only invest in them when we can get them at a discount to their intrinsic valuation. And that's what we talk about, his methodology, on this podcast. Uh, This week on the free edition, we're going to be starting off with a little bit of story about the Reserve Bank outgoing Governor Philip Lowe and his view on how the Reserve Bank might handle its managing of the economy in the future. Uh, We've got a question from listener Chris about uh, an investment that some family members of his made in a technology company called Updata, which is having some problems. And uh, Tony's doing a deep dive or what we call a pulled pork on uh, a company called Baby Bunting, BBN, that was a request from one of our QAV club members. So let's get into the show. I know that we've got one new fan to the QAV podcast that would apparently be RBA Governor, outgoing RBA Governor Philip Lowe. It's reported in the ABC on uh, Sunday. They're saying there could be better ways to manage inflation. Are there better ways to manage inflation? Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe says there probably are. Last week, in one of his final public appearances as central bank governor, he said monetary policy was a very blunt instrument that spread pain unequally through the community. He said under an alternative system, suggested by Tony Kynaston, monetary authorities could work differently with government and treasury to better coordinate their inflation-fighting policies. We should think seriously about it over the long term. You know, I... Like, okay, that's nice. But I always love it when outgoing people say, you know what, we should do this differently. And they didn't say it in the preceding 10 years when they actually had some power. They always saying yeah. it. Oh, it's like when Kevin Rudd started criticizing Murdoch's control over the media <laughs> after he was no longer prime minister and could actually do something, do something about, about it. <laughs> exactly. A bit late, Kev. Exactly. Late, Phil. Well, look, I'm, I'm glad that for once... I agree with the RBA governor because I, I don't often see eye to eye with his, his views and policies. He runs away when he sees you on the street, the we guy, found out the other way. Yeah, he did run the other way. But, but yeah, I agree with you. For God's sake, you've been at the RBA for 40 years. Now you've just worked it out. Or if you haven't just worked it out, now you're just finally telling someone about it, for God's sake. You, you are the principal driver of the economy. You're the grand poobah of Australian economics, and you wait until you're sacked before you come out and tell us about it. How to do it better. And he's even, he even took a swing at the review that they recently had. He said, well, we've had this review, so now we're proceeding to implement the recommendations. But at a very high level, I still think there's worth giving thought to coordination between monetary and fiscal policy, which apparently wasn't part of the review. The reason the monetary policy has really been assigned to an independent central bank is it's very difficult for the political class to do what we're currently doing, that is putting up interest rates. People are hurting, it's very uncomfortable, and we're putting up interest rates. In parts of the community, we're incredibly unpopular. I often read in the newspaper and listen to Tony Kynaston's podcast that I'm the most unpopular person in the country. It's much harder for the political class to be unpopular in the way the Reserve Bank, and I am unpopular. So unpopular, I have to run away when I see Tony coming down the street. And that's largely why setting of interest rates and managing the inflation cycle 
has been assigned to an independent central bank who doesn't have to worry about being re-elected and being popular, he said. I thought it was so they were at at arm's length from the government and could just make solid economic uh, decisions without political influence. He makes it sound like they're just like, oh, you you know, we don't want to be the bad guys. We'll farm it off to you. You can be the bad guys and then we can can complain about it. Can you imagine Paul J. Keating shirking away from a tough decision? Look, <laughs> oh. I have some sympathy for what he's saying. He's 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 actually correct. It's if if the government was in charge of interest rates, which they were prior to about the eighties, I think, when the RBA was set up independently. Well, you see what happens. We get we get printing of money freely ad infinitum until the you know, the debt gets downgraded. So that's you know, that's that is the issue. He's he's dead right with that. But I mean He's, he's also been the RBA governor for the last seven years. Did he ever go to the government and say, hey, I could put interest rates up now, which would smash the economy across all households and sectors and businesses, or we could work together and maybe you could do a bit of a rebate on energy prices and fuel prices for a little while, and I'll keep them where they are. Just because you're independent doesn't mean you can't collude. Well, I suppose that's a bit of a tautology. But what I mean is you can be independent in that you're not reporting to the government, but you can still work with them and coordinate policy for the betterment of the country. Mm. Well, let's hope his successor does something or is able to work out some different deal, Michelle. Yeah. Well, he's also doing the sackcloth and ashes trick, isn't he? Oh, you know, I had it really tough for my reign. I took all the brunt of the the negative of of people of Australia just for the betterment of the economy. Mm -hmm. I'm going now. You'll miss Mm -hmm. me when I'm gone. You won't have (laughs) me to kick around anymore. Some cop. The Joby Peterson argument. Richard Nixon argument. Him too, was it? Mm. Yeah, that's where it comes from. All right. What have you got? Paul Pork today, Tony. Yeah, I've got it. Let me just make sure I've covered off on everything. Yeah, Paul Pork. Baby bunting, which was a request. Or as I guess it could be known as baby bunnings. It's the cat, the category killer for, for maternity and newborns. Anybody hasn't been into a baby bunting, bunting store, they'll notice that it's, it's large. It has many different types of prams, bassinets, rockers. They also sell disposable nappies and nappy washers and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's basically a one-stop shop for expecting mothers and new mums. We went there back when it was just one store in Camberwell in, in Melbourne. So it's been around for 40 odd years, according to its website. One of the interesting things I found out about this company was it was set up by the Nadelman family and they exited the register. I'm not sure exactly when, perhaps around the time of listing. And so we don't have an owner founder in this. Now it's, I think that's probably okay. I, I suspect that. I don't know why, but it's possible that the Nadelman family had no one to take over the continued running of the the business. And that's often the case with companies that list is that it's a way for the founders to exit without passing it on to their children. So it's it's probably okay, but it, it is a bit surprising that a family run store doesn't have a, a descendant on at least on the on the board. But it's you know, by the by and it it's it's possibly quite okay. But it's not the case in this particular case. We don't have an owner founder on the board. It's, it's the company, if people aren't that familiar with it, they have 70 stores across Australia and New Zealand, all in this sort of category, category killer baby sort of baby area. The New Zealand expansion is recent. They've rolled out a couple of stores in New Zealand with another eight planned, but 
one of the things I wanted to mention about this is I think New Zealand's going to be an issue for them because in Australia, when they launched, at least when they listed online back in 2015, they eventually became the category killer. So there were networks of other babies and maternity stores, and eventually they all either were folded into baby bunting or went broke because baby bunting just grew and grew and grew, undercut them on prices, on range, on convenience, on services, all those kinds of things became known as a destination to, for new mums or expecting mums to go to. And the other networks fell away. It, they're starting that process again in New Zealand, uh, which may work out well for them because they do have you know, a great value proposition, but there is already existing competitors and, and one called Baby Factory, amongst others, has already a network of 25 stores over there. So that, that could be an issue for them. One of the things I, I noticed about this company is when I was reading their annual report in prepping for this and on their website is they do have a, a focus and an emphasis on ESG. So there's a lot of, a lot of time and effort devoted to, you know, being a good corporate citizen. They've got a policy on not buying things from countries with slave labor issues. They've, they've put a lot of effort into using recycled packaging in their stores. So I'm, I'm guessing that's a, a big thing for them. And I, I wonder if it's because if, if, you know, mum's focusing on the future of her newborn baby, that they're thinking about these kinds of things. So that maybe is one of their sort of hidden value propositions as well. But there certainly is a large emphasis on ESG for this company. As I said before, most of their competition has fallen by the wayside. Uh, including there was one category killer that came from the UK into Australia and eventually uh, went into liquidation because it couldn't compete. So, so baby bunting has a, a history of doing well. Uh, its competitors really now are Kmart, Big W, Target and Meyer, that kind of department store that offers prams and bassinets and, and other um, maternity categories as well. But the benefit of baby bunting, of course, is, is the fact it's all in one place. It has a much um, wider range than you'll find in a Kmart, but it's still possible that people go into baby bunting and shop around and find the thing they want and go and try and shop around at Kmart and Big W and get a cheaper price for it. So that may be an issue for them. The interesting thing is they just announced their latest results last Friday and they, the results on, on paper or on face value weren't good even though the share price has risen since the results came out, a bit like Nick Scarley, I guess they're not as bad as people thought, but just to run through them, sales were up 1.7% to 515.8 million. However, like-for-like -like sales were down 3.6%. And that's an important thing for retailers and one of the things that analysts will focus on. Like-for-like -like sales is basically how the sales from stores that were open for more than 12 months and how they're doing. So if they're going down, it means a couple of things, either there's a, there's a problem with the, with the, the, the format and the offering or the pricing, or the new stores are cannibalizing the existing network. So that could be a, an issue for this, for this company. Cause after all, how many maternity stores can you open in a country before you start cannibalizing? But that may not be the issue. Online sales were also down uh, over 8% to 103 million. So still a large part of the business, about 20% is now online. But net profit was down 51% to 14.5 million. And the dividend was cut by more than half to seven and a half cents. So that last thing is quite worrying because companies, as we've learned, are very low to, to drop their dividends because it, it loses faith with the shareholders. They like to, to be able to forecast that they're going to receive 
a certain level of income, particularly if you're a retiree and buying this stock for income reasons. The net pat being down 51% is, is a big issue. It was called out that that was caused by increasing inflation in costs. A lot of it to do was with the New Zealand opening. And yeah, those, those two things, basically. The share price is down more than 50% over the last 12 months. And the outlook that was provided when the results were announced were for the first six weeks of trading, sales were down 4% and like the light sales were down 9%. So it surprises me the share price is going up because I find those two things quite worrying. But the share price is going up. So I'm going to do this analysis at $2.09, which was the share price on the weekend, but I think it's more like $2.30 today. So mm. it did drop when the results were announced on Friday, but it's, it's going back up again. And the share price is trending up. It's still a Josephine, according to the Bredelator. So it's got a long way to get back to its buy price, but it is now above its sell price and it's trending up. I should say before I go into the numbers, this is not a QAV buy stock. It's, it's a Josephine at, at best. And we'll see when I go through the numbers that it doesn't reach the thresholds either. So I'm using the June 23 numbers, which came out last week, and a price of $2.09. Stock Doctor Financial Health of this company is strong and steady. The PE is 19.87, which is reasonably high for a retailer, but it's not at the highest or the lowest, so we don't score it. The highest or lowest for the last three years, I should say. The prop cap for this company is 6.5 times, so not too bad. Getting up towards our, our high end, but it's still within our, our limits. IV1 is only 54 cents and IV2 is $1.19, which is you know almost half what the share price is now. So that's not good. And likewise for book plus 30% is, is $1.04. So you can't buy this on those metrics cheaply. Forecast growth is 14%. And I, I find that interesting because they've called out that their like-for-like sales are down 9% in the first six weeks and that their sales overall were down, what they say, 4% in the first six weeks. So I can't see how earnings per share is going to go 14%. The only way I think it can be is if in this last results, those costs which were incurred in New Zealand were one-off and they won't incur again. So it's possible earnings per share goes up. However, even if we take that into account and agree with it, the growth over PE is still 0.7. So it doesn't score on a growth basis for us. Uh, as I said before, the, the Nadelmans and their descendants don't own any meaningful, meaningful numbers of shares in this company. Directors only own 0.79 of 1%, so we don't score it for owner founder. All in all, the quality score for this company is 3 out of 15, which is only 20%, and the QAV score is 0.03. So a lot of, lot of issues there. Sales are down, like-for-like like sales are down, overseas expansion into potentially a tough market for them. And then this extra issue is, is uh, which I'll talk about now, is that they have a new CEO coming in October. So Matt Spence, who, Spencer, who was there from listening and, and by all accounts has done a good job, announced he was leaving the company earlier this year. The company's been in caretaker mode with, I think, the CFO acting as CEO, and the new CEO starts in October. So this is a company which is facing cost increase issues, like-for-like -like sales decrease issues an overseas expansion into a tough market. And I'm going to tell you the previous role for the incoming chief executive that they've just employed. The previous role for the incoming chief exec executive was the global chief product and chief strategy officer for Afterpay. Mm. So kind of kind of strange to me. When, when I read it, I laughed. I thought that was, that was interesting that they're going to put a 
an internet retailer in charge of a company facing very, very basic retail issues of, of costs and sales. And I don't know this person, they, they might have had a previous role in retail. Their CV says they worked for Accent One, the shoe company. So they've had some retailing experience. But I'm surprised we're not seeing very experienced retailer come out of West Farmers or Kmart or Target or someone like that to take on this role. The fact that we're not suggests to me that when tapped and approached, they said no. So I'm, I'm drawing a bit of a long bow here, but if experienced retailers aren't taking this offer, but taking this job up, there's probably something going on there, which didn't appeal to them. But when it's been given to the chief product strategy officer for Afterpay, it's not, it wouldn't have been the first person on my list. Now, I'm, I'm being harsh. 20% of the sales from this company come online. So they're obviously trying to expand that by putting a, someone with an online experience in. But gee, uh, I was going to head this pulled pork backing the wrong horse because I think they've got the wrong person in the role. My opinion could be wrong. The market's liking it, so maybe I am wrong. But it's got to lift. It's got to lift like-for-like sales. It's got to lift dividends. It's got to improve the New Zealand rollout. And it's got to do it all with decreasing costs. I think it needs a very experienced operational retailer to run this company. And just I'm looking at the bread later. I don't think it's even a Josephine. It's Oh, you don't? Okay. Well, it's well below its byline. It's not even above the byline, right? So, oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. you're right, actually. it's Yeah, it's above its sell line, below its byline. Yeah. Long way to go. I mean, it is trending upwards, but a long way to go before it would be a buy for us. So that was a request from Marcus, who I think is a former employee at BBN. So hope that helps. And he and says, may have something to add, Marcus, if you've got something about baby bunting you've learned over the years and I've got wrong, then please follow up. And he's apparently in Denmark at the moment, catching up with Princess Mary, I believe. So he said he didn't see her at the local... Aussie Southern Cross, I think, for the Matildas game. So, but maybe he said maybe she'll be there for the if they make the grand final or something. That's in Australia. Oh well, you know yeah. she's a she's a she's a princess. She can make it to Australia. I'm sure, not a big deal. Yeah, All but right. he's in he's in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's in Denmark to bring her back to Australia. Right? Yeah, maybe that's his new gig after yeah. living baby bunting is princess mining. I don't know. I didn't ask. Anyway, have fun in Denmark, Marcus. Uh, hey, Alex. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you, Alex? I'm all right, thank you. I'm a bit frantic, getting close to the fair, so yeah, oh. good otherwise. <laughs> Lovely. So what do you have for us this week, Alex, keeper of the questions? Yeah, well, I have a question from, I think this one's from Chris. It's a bit of a long one and I haven't edited it edited it for my ease of reading. So apologies if I stumble a little bit. It says, can TK provide any advice on this one? Acknowledge that it's pretty rare and unique. So I have a family member with an investment in a company called Updata. They are a software company providing a platform for connecting services when moving house. They were listed on the ASX until 2018 and are listed to move to the US. Shares were valued around $21.25. They were meant to list on NASDAQ over previous three to four years, but excuses have ranged from COVID to poor IPO valuations. Not completely unreasonable. The revenue has been growing steadily. They have been um, tendering for a US military contract for three to four years. This was meant to be the holy grail. Finally, they got it earlier this year, and in, bracket, in brackets, including lengthy court case against competitor. 
So they've known about that, the requirements for quite a while. However, now they've got it, they've said that they're unable to service it without significant capital injection. To secure the capital, they've diluted the shares. So 2125 is now valued at 75 cents. Fucking ouch. Family members have been offered another parcel of shares up to the initial purchase quantity at 75 cents. Updata have apparently now allegedly burned a lot of prominent investors in in brackets, Lowy, Bailey's managed funds. And so the story is there's a lot more oversight on their management. So there are three questions. First one, would it be worth doubling the parcel of shares to dollar cost average the loss down to approximately $11 by gambling an extra three to 5% of original cost? I say gamble as this is now a private company with little transparency compared with a public company. Should I read all three oh, out? Yeah, read the three out and then I'll go through them. All right. Question two. What are the chances of a tech company that has been op operating in the U.S. since 2018 going from 75 cents to A, 21.25 in brackets, not taking up the offer, or B, $11, taking up the additional 3 to 5% investment? And the third question, or based on a loss of at 90 cents of value of initial investment by current management, would it likely be just throwing good money after bad? Any advice on whether to take them up? On an offer would be appreciated. Attached is their latest shareholder update that might provide some insight. Yeah, thanks. Oh, by the way, I didn't get the update, so I can't. Sorry, I can't. Sorry, I thought I attached that to my email. Oh, you might have. I didn't see it. Sorry. Anyway, it, it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I think this. I'd throw this one into the bucket of sunk cost fallacy. So just because you're an investor and it's almost gone to zero, doesn't mean you should put more money in to try and get it back. The only way you'd want to invest in this company is if there was a compelling story for it at 75 cents a share. And given that they're not very transparent and you don't have much to go on, it's pretty hard to, to judge that one. So yeah, that's unfortunately, that's what you have to do. So Chris, like it's, yeah, I can't give personal advice. If, if it was me and this was a, a general situation where I'd owned a company and it's, it's gone almost to zero and it's, it's not, not just a dilution, it's a disintegration really of the share price, you'd have to question why that management can suddenly turn things around and you'd be looking at the numbers that they provide with the, with the request for more capital and yeah, just probably halving them all and trying to decide whether you could invest in them or not. But yeah, I think the chances of it coming around aren't great. Updater, I only have a I don't know much about it. It was on the ASX. It's a company that allows you to, in one sort of central location, have all your address details updated to all the utilities when you move house. So that's the business model. I've got to say, I'm not sure about Australia, but when I left Canada, that was a free service offered by Canada Post when I was leaving. And I applied for a mail redirection. They came back and said, tick this box and we'll tell, you know, these dozen or so major utilities of your new address. So I'm not sure how competitive updater can be in a market where people are giving away the same service for free. So unless they've cracked that one, I can't see them adding much value, which is probably why their shares are down to 75 cents. If they have got some kind of deal with the US government, that obviously would be a good thing for the company. So Chris, you're going to have to sit down and nut out the, the numbers on how much they're making for every person that moves over the next nine years. I think it was for the contract. But again, if the service is available for free from Canada Post, chances are it's also available from US Post. And I'm not sure why the US government would be paying you lots of money or update lots of money to 
to do this service when they can get it from their own their own government department for next to nothing. It doesn't sound like a like it's a it's a, a business model with with a, a moat around it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I don't know the details of it or any sort of I haven't followed this stock. It's it's to me it's another example of a stock with high flying ambitions that has crashed to worth on on high multiples. And it's unfortunately not unusual to see some of the the biggest investors in the country, you know, throw throw a few bucks at it and lose out. And which is kind of their business model. If they back a hundred companies or kiss a hundred frogs and, and one turns out to be a unicorn, then they, they make money. So I don't know if they'll be losing sleep over this. Uh, that was my approach to marriages too. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> well, it'd be I guess it'd be a, an indicator as to how seriously they took the idea if they were putting money in, but you probably won't know about that until after the the round, the fundraising round closes. So Chris, sorry, I can't say anything more about it, but I think it's a sunk cost fallacy. Your family members probably better off just taking what they've lost and selling the shares and then putting it against the capital profit somewhere that they might have their portfolio. How do we even sell the shares? Yeah, good point. I think it was, is it, okay, again, I don't know much about it. I think it's going to list on the NASDAQ, isn't it? In theory. In theory, yeah. If it lists on the NASDAQ, then they can sell their share. So what, what's the process? I mean, I did live through this when I had an investment in hot copper back in the early 2000s, but which I think oh, I might've been acquired, but I, anyway, I lost all my money in it. But if a company delists, if, if you invest in a company in the ASX and then it delists, what's what, you know, what happens to your legal ownership over the shares in that company? How is that managed? How, you know, what's the oversight of that? Do you, do you have any idea of what goes yeah, on? Yeah. Unfortunately, I've gone through it as well with one or two investments over the years. One was a New Zealand insurance company, which, which was delisted. It's, it's still a company that you own shares in. It's just not publicly traded. So I think from memory, what happened with the New Zealand insurance company was someone came along and offered a very small amount for the shares to buy them out on a private basis. So you can sell them. If, if it, if it delists and then just sits there, you, you're stuck. If no one wants to buy your shares, you can't even claim the capital loss until it goes into liquidation. And then that liquidation event will get listed with the ATO as being the trigger for a capital loss and you can write it off. And I imagine there's got to be some sort of framework around protecting investors. I mean, if I invest in a startup, they can't just take my money for the shares and then go, yeah, we've changed our mind. We've delisted. Thanks very much. Good night and take off. Of course. Well, like, of course they could. Be... I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> yeah, right. So they could do that. And then there's just like the lawsuits that come afterwards for something. Yeah, correct. Mm. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I can't remember about an update. Are they, I remember at the time they were saying, oh, the value, we're not valued at a high enough multiple on the ASX. We're going to go and list on the NASDAQ. That would be the time to have sold before it delisted. I'm, 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 like I said, I'm not familiar with updata. I suspect there was a period after they announced they were leaving where you could have sold your sh as in they didn't delist and then tell you about it. They would have said, we're going to delist and move to the, the NASDAQ and you should have had time to sell. I just looked up an article. This is from the Financial Review, August 15th, 2018, exactly five years ago today, also Napoleon's birthday. It says, update of the $645 million technology company that provides services to Americans who are moving home. 
is planning to delist from the Australian Securities Exchange after it said international venture funds were keen to back the company if it went private. In an announcement to the exchange on Wednesday, Updater said it would seek shareholder approval to delist the company, but would allow shareholders to remain invested once the company is private. The board believed it was in the best interest of all security holders to take the company private after financial investors and parties expressed an interest in investing in Updater so long as it was a private company, the statement said. The highly unusual move is likely to catch some investors off guard and raise questions about the role of the ASX in funding technology companies, the increased shift towards private ownership and the apparent flood of US venture capital willing to fund high growth companies. So they were going to ask the shareholders to give them approval to, and I assume they had enough control over enough shareholders that they got that Ooh. approval. Wouldn't have to be hundred so, yeah. percent. It'd be some sort of yeah level they had to get. Well, just think through the logic of that, Cam. That overseas venture capitalists want to buy the company, but not at the price it's listed at. You have to delist first, so we can then buy you. Mm. Right. So mm -hmm. what they're saying is. We think you're wildly overvalued. If you ever delist, let us know. We'll put, we'll tip the hat around and we'll buy you at a much lower valuation. Because if they if the if the flip side was true, if the US venture comp companies were interested in this company as a privately listed company, then buy the friggin' thing on the ASX and then delist it and own it. This article goes on. It's it's pretty pretty good read actually. <laughs> They're <laughs> quoting the chief executive and founder David Greenberg. Oh, that name rings a bell. Yeah, Greenberg. Is is that D-Store? Greenberg? Remember that from no, the D-Store okay. days? Could be. I don't think so. I knew, the, I knew okay. all the people at D-Store. Anyway, he said management was planning to accelerate its growth and scale towards 35% share of household moves. 35%. Oh, my God. Ooh. As well as expanding into international moves, student moves, and military moves. Updater also provided an update on its business progress. It said bookings for the second quarter more than doubled to US 5.1 million. They were valued at $645 million and their sales were, had just doubled to 5.1 million for the second quarter. Big, big difference between how much money they're yeah. in and what their valuation was. So, and did, and did they say they were? Did they say they were handling 30% of US moves? That was their, that was their goal. As a goal, right. Yeah, that okay. was their goal. It said, management confirmed its guidance that it would achieve all its year-end stated goals, including a total revenue of between 19 and 23 million US dollars. But uh, yeah, they had to delist to get this money. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so. Good um, money after bad is basically what you're saying, you think. Well, I think I don't want, I can't give financial advice on this no, one. I, and I'd but be if doing it was it, you, I'd be doing it in ignorance. If it was me, I'd be checking out the detailed information that they should have been presented with and be making my case for investment based on those numbers and not what I'd already spent on the company. But you know me, would I invest in the company earning no. 5 million bucks and value it at 500 million? <laughs> I was going to say the next step is then tell your family to start listening to QAV so they don't yeah. do this again. All right, Alex, no, Alex any, got any follow any up questions? questions? Yeah. This might be too junior a question, but you're talking about Buffett's idea, I think, of having a moat around a business. Yeah. What would be an example of a business with a moat around it? Yeah. So a moat is something which for the, so it's like a moat around a castle that makes the castle, it's it, in, increases the defenses on the castle. So Buffett says a business with a moat is able to raise its prices 
regardless of what the economic cycle is, and has a high barrier to entry into that industry. So Walmart, for example, is a business with a moat. It, it, it's so big now and so well run that basically any other competitor opening up a, and trying to compete with it just can't match its prices. And so people will still go to Walmart. So that's a moat. Mm. So it's, the, that, it's a business with strengths and defenses, which, which means it's hard for someone to come in and compete with them. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. And in this case, if, if Updater's business model is just to, to provide your details to utilities when you move, I would have thought any kid in the garage with a laptop can probably compete with them on that. And given that, it's not surprising that Canada Post was doing it for free. So yeah, yeah. Sporting, remote business. According to David Greenberg's LinkedIn, he's an American, not an Aussie. Before starting Updater 12 years and six months ago, he was a corporate attorney mergers and acquisitions for Cravath, Swain and Moore and went to Cornell Law School. But it says that Updater has raised nearly $500 million and is backed by Vista Fidelity, SoftBank, IA Ventures, Second Century Ventures, Com Commerce Ventures and over 10 other institutional funds. They have 250 full-time employees and over 300 contractors working to reinvent the moving experience. Well, look, I'm probably skimmed over what they, what they do. So I would, would, you know, happily admit that if they're doing more than just providing addresses to utilities, then uh, that makes sense. But, and the people who are investing in them aren't stupid. So there must be something else going on there besides what they say they do. Technology owned by Updater touches nearly 50% of all household moves in the US annually. So they've got something going on. Yeah. Mm. For $5 million worth of revenue. Well, well that five was five, million, years, five years ago. Five years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Alex. Hope that helps, Chris. Probably not, but there you go. Mm. Thank you. See you later. Bye. See you, I'll See you tomorrow. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. It runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., sign up for the two-week free trial and check it all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there and if you like the idea of value investing qav style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do qav for yourself think about signing up for qav light that's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week and then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing.
The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.